apologise for the cross mix-up in times, I was sure we were to be here at 11 o'clock. And when we pulled in here at 10, I noticed some children with their parents, they go, oh, I must be here for Sunday school. And then I thought, Tom and Imka wouldn't be here yet, so we just waited in the car and uh, we're just relaxed and very happy to be here early. Anyway, <coughs> uh, we apologise. When Tom asked us if we'd be prepared to come and speak here, we thought, OK, uh, I better give this some serious thought, which we did. And I've been thinking that as Christians living in what used to be a Christian society, we are now facing like we have never faced before. As a matter of fact, we are the first generation of Australians, looks like we have some new Australians too, but the first generation who has not grown up with the background that the state would back a Christian position. This is the first time that's happened in our country. And as we, as young Christians and as older Christians, face a changing world, we can expect persecution will come to this country. Bill Forward was preaching in Romania many years ago and, and he told us something about the situation there. Then Grace caught up with a nursing friend of hers from the States who had gone to Romania right after it became freed from communism. And a lady said to her, she said, you know something, since we have this freedom, we are going cold in our Christianity. And she said, I would pray that we would have the persecution return. Now, not many of us are going to say that we'd like to see Christians persecuted here, but I don't think we're going to have the option. So what does that mean? It means we have to look into this book and find out how God prepared his people who'd been wandering in the wilderness, in disobedience and disarray, and as some of us look at our history, we can nod our head, disobedience and disarray. And God brought them, due to the faithfulness of his servant Moses, again to the entrance into the promised land. This is their second chance. Did you know that God is a God of the second chance? Maybe it's the 52nd chance for you. I don't know where you stand. As I looked at the book of Joshua, I thought this is a good place to start because in the first chapter, God said something three times. Now look, when your mother used to say stuff to you three times, you knew that you had to do it. We had a neighbour kid who used to come and play with our kids and his mother would stand on the front veranda and shout, what was his name, do you remember? Cameron! And Cameron would do nothing. He would just imagine he had all the time in the world. A few seconds later, Cameron! And it got louder. You kids know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He still did nothing. The third time... She stamped a foot on the veranda and said, Cameron! 
And then he said so sweetly, I've got to go now. <laughs> you know, Grace used to say, when she was a young mum too, why didn't that mother teach him to say it, that she would say it once? You know, kids need to be told just once. But then you get old and you can't remember the time the service starts. <laughs> I tell you, it's terrible. Chapter 1 of Joshua, let's read it. If you can find it, it comes after Deuteronomy. Chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people into the land I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness this, and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, going toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Notice verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers and give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law of Moses, my servant, that my, but Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Notice the second time. Be strong and courageous and do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I thought, okay, that's doing two things. It's saying we should be strong, but not in our own strength. Can I underscore that about ten times? We need to be strong, but not in our own strength. Not according to our ability. Not according to our ability to judge and sometimes apologise. Our strength is to be in the word of God. Remember that. So I thought, okay, how do we take that challenge, be strong and courageous to face the opposition we may well be going to experience? How do I correlate that with the new covenant? So I thought, aha, Ephesians chapter 6, if you wouldn't mind turning. Ephesians chapter 6, the last chapter of the book of Ephesians. Probably one of the 
most complete gospel understanding books in the Bible. The Apostle Paul explains the grace of God in chapter 1. He explains how we can't do it by ourselves because we are sinful, fallen people in chapter 2. He talks about the need to understand there's no difference in Christ Jesus in chapter 3. In chapter 4, he deals with the behaviour of the believer. In chapter 5, it gets to be meddling. He actually suggests that we need to be submissive to Christ and submissive to the leadership that God has ordered Oh, your husbands are saying, yes, I know what he's going to say now. No, I'm not going to say that. But I am going to say this. When the apostle speaks to husbands, he says, love them. And you know what he could have been holding in his hand? He could have been holding a 10-inch on the old scale. That would be around 240 millimetres. Spike. The spikes the Romans used to nail people to crosses. When he said, husbands, love your wives, he was addressing the same type of love that Christ has for us. You know, if at every wedding you see conducted, if the officiating pastor would get up there and explain to husbands how they were to love their wives... I think you'd have some of them leave the service. That has never been taught thoroughly in Australia. It's that love of Christ so to be demonstrated in the life of the godly husband that his wife can't help herself responding to that sacrificial love. So when we come to chapter 6, we find that the apostle says children should obey their parents. Did you know that? Heard that before? Yeah. Yeah. I'd heard it before too. When my mother called me James, I knew I was in trouble. Everybody else called me Jim, but mum, (laughs) James. Oh dear. Halfway through chapter 6, we come to another picture of a soldier. I didn't remind you before, but Joshua was primarily a soldier. Now, soldiers have to be brave. They have to be courageous. They have to be strong. And Paul introduces us to the Christian soldier if you've read the story of John by John Bunyan, you would know that Christian was, in fact, made a soldier for that story. And here we are, we want to be strong. But before I go through that, I, I want to just share a few things that I did when I was digging. I was digging in to find out exactly how Joshua 
was going to be a model for the children of Israel to emulate just as we are to emulate the Lord Jesus. You see, God didn't say to Joshua, tell them to cross over. He said, Joshua, you lead them. He didn't say, go under the water, swim over. He said, go over the water. God had another plan. Of course, Joshua didn't understand at that time. Now, Joshua was a normal man. The thing he could see from where they were on the east side of the Jordan, they could see Jericho, a walled city. And it was such a big thing, I think, in in Joshua's mind that God said to him, send some spies over. Not because the spies had to find out where the weak places were in the wall so they could knock it down, but so the spies could hear something that would make a profound impact when they came back and talked to the other soldiers and to Joshua. What did he tell them? They said, the people are dead scared. That didn't make any difference. Joshua still followed God's orders. The interesting thing was, during that period of seven days, you'll recall, because some of you have known these stories backwards since you were a kid, my mother read to me 11 times right through the Elsie Egemeer's Bible storybook when I was a kid. So when I went to Moody and they asked you in the first week how much you know about the Bible, they question you, I did pretty good on that. Because, but then they have another trick at the end. They get you to do the same test to find out how much they've taught you while you've been there. Some of us didn't do real well because I was busy catching grace, you see. But um, the interesting thing was Joshua, in about chapter 6 of Joshua, is walking around the side of Jericho looking up to those mountains. If any of you have been to the Holy Land, you know where Jericho is and you can see the mountains right there. As he came around a corner, and there may well have been bushes and shrubbery and trees around in those days, he's facing another soldier. And this soldier has his sword drawn. Now that generally means one thing when you're a soldier. If you don't intend to hurt somebody, you keep the sword in the sheath. But when Joshua came around the corner... And friend, this is a key. It's a key to understand why the Lord Jesus was willing in the Garden of Gethsemane to go through with that sacrificial torture and death. When Joshua walked, it says he walked toward this soldier. And the Bible says he was the captain of the Lord's host. And Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemies? When Major Ian Thomas was speaking at the Tambourine Convention back in the 1980s, he paraphrased it this way. And Joshua said, are you for us or for our enemies? Major Ian Thomas says, the captain of the Lord's host said, I haven't come to take sides... I've come to take over. 
And if that doesn't hit you between the eyes, then we need to understand it is not our strength. It is totally God's strength. It is our obedience to follow, but not our strength. It's his. After Joshua had met the captain of the Lord's host, he had to take his sandals off and he bowed and worshipped. Who was the captain of the Lord's host? The same Lord Jesus, an Old Testament Christophany of the, of the Godhead, second person of the Godhead. And that same Lord Jesus is who Paul is talking about here in chapter 6 of Ephesians so that we may be able to stand against the fiery darts of the evil one. The evil one not only makes his presence felt by the things in society, he makes his presence felt by how he deals with our minds. And so the apostle says, finally... And here's the same two words, be strong. You got it? Joshua chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 6, be strong. You'd almost get that, in, that point, wouldn't you? In other words, we're not to be wishy-washy. Do you want your kids to be challenged by your trusting in Christ? Be strong. I don't mean be hard. I don't mean being dogmatic be strong. I don't mean you can't listen to them debate and, and even argue about the gospel. Just be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God. And I think that we need to recognise the fact that the whole armour of God is what he intends us to be thinking and doing about as we face the difficulties. I think the most insidious of the current plagues or uh, insidious opposition we may be facing is what the scientists are now talking about, artificial intelligence. You may already know that in China the security system of that country in certain places is totally under the control of facial recognition. You know what that means? They know who's going to church and who isn't. They know what you are doing and where you are going. When we come to this new one, this artificial intelligence, and I was listening to Jordan Peterson just talking about this the other day on the internet. It is astounding what they can put into a blessed computer. Now, as you get older, you would wish you could crush them all, but there are times when they are very helpful. However, what this intelligence is going to do is that if it's in the hands of the wrong people, when a student wants to get his PhD... When a doctor wants to complete his course of medicine, when a lawyer wants to be, when anybody wants to be, 
they'll be able with this computer-driven, sinister way of dealing with truth to make people who are not qualified in positions where they will have authority. And that is so, so wrong, not just for the Christian, it's wrong for society. Let's look at these things that the Apostle says we should be wearing. Put on the whole armour of God, verse 11. Verse 14, the belt of truth. Now, once upon a time, belts were just used to hold up certain parts of the clothing, but they also were strengthening. That's why if you watch those people who are boxers, I don't even think that's a good sport, but anyway, they put a big fancy belt on them when they've won. They don't have it on while they're fighting. But that's just to give the impression of a musculous man who can fight. The belt was part of the uniform of the Roman soldier. And what Paul is saying here, that foundational gut-level necessity is for you to know the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God's word is truth. If you start on any other foundation, it is not truth. This is so important that we understand this. At the same time, let's be very careful. Our study of the scripture is important, not just to know it wrote but to understand what it means. The study of hermeneutics is something that people do in Bible colleges. It is important that we study to rightly, Timothy tells us, rightly divide the word of God. The truth is the foundation. In the second half of verse 14, the the breastplate of righteousness The reason, by the way, that the breastplate was worn by the Roman soldier was simply for his protection. Uh, Most of them who were really good, really quick, really able to fight, hopefully never had anybody that close. But sometimes in in a fight they needed that. And Paul is saying here, it's not your righteousness, it is the righteousness of Christ that will be covering your heart. You know, we sometimes think of the heart as only necessary with emotions, but it's more than that. The heart is the life pump. When your heart stops, you generally don't last too long, especially in the hot days. There's the need for protection, the breastplate of righteousness, and then this verse 15 is an interesting one because that verse is very hard to know exactly. We end up with, with gospel of peace. But how you get there in the ESV version is having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, the shoes, pardon me, having put on the shoes, which is the readiness. I think we can pick up from that, and this is a translation of changing languages, of course, The gospel of peace has to have feet. And if you're going to have feet, you need shoes. 
I always worry when I see tradesmen walking around in thongs. All they've got to do is walk backwards and they'll trip and drop the cement they're carrying or whatever it is. Shoes are important. When I was in national service in the olden days, the only thing the the army worried about was my shoes. My jacket was too big, that didn't matter. But shoes, do you know we had to wear our shoes wet for 24 hours? Do you know why? Because as they dried, they'd fit you. Shoes are important. And it's important to recognise if we're going to be able to fight for the kingdom in, uh, in, in the readiness, with the readiness of the gospel, our feet have to be ready to move. Then we come to the next one, which is the shield of faith. It's interesting about the shield of faith and about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Both of those could be exercised. The shield had a handle here, but some of them also had a a thing down here you'd slide your arm through so you could hold the shield up or down or wherever it was necessary to stop the darts. So that was something you had to exercise. That muscle had to be kept in good shape. The other hand was for the sword. Now the Roman sword was not the great big long one that that our kings and queens back, I don't know about the queens, but the kings in the olden days had these long swords. They could just give you a poke. The Roman soldier's sword was only about that long. It was designed for close combat. Paul is saying, the shield of faith can extinguish the fiery darts of the devil. Remember, we have to use it. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Memorising scripture used to be something Sunday schools did in the olden days. And they used to have competitions and the kids would come in fear and trembling if they didn't remember their verse. Camps at Burley used to have memory verses and the whole hut had to remember You know, some verses stick, and I have to admit, some verses don't. But look at those verses that you can remember, and then add a couple more if you think it's necessary, and I'm sure it is, because as we face the future, we need to be facing it with the word of God so close, not just to our lips, but to our mind. What does it mean then for Christians who are living in a godless world? Do we have anything we can do apart from pray and stand strong and be courageous? Well, I think there is. Many years ago, Dr. Martin Niemöller came to Australia right after the Second World War. Martin Niemöller was a famous resistance pastor in the pre-Second World War Germany. Looking back on his own failings, 
He made this confessional statement when he was a prisoner of Hitler in Dachau prison camp in 1944. And he shared the feelings of shame and guilt that gave rise to this famous confession. You know, Christians can sometimes not do what we should do. And Martin Niemöller was a courageous man. You talk about be courageous, be strong and courageous. On one other occasion, before I read you the confessional, on one other occasion, all the Lutheran ministers in Germany were brought to meet Hitler. And for one hour, Hitler ranted and raved to this great crowd of ministers. And at the end of his speech, they all had to... Uh, walk past and shake Hitler's hand. And most of them were going, Hail Hitler and all this. When it came to Niemöller, he stood to attention in front of Hitler and he looked him straight in the eye and he said, Mein Führer, Germany belongs to God. And two days later, Niemöller had a visit from the Gestapo. That was in, in, in 37. He, but he was left to preach in his church in Berlin until a year or two later when the Nazis could stand it no more. What was he doing? Just abusing the, the government? No. He was sharing what the scriptures taught. Well, he went into prison. And when I was in Germany in 74, I went to Dachau prison camp. You come into the only hut that's still left standing from that day. And on the wall in front of your face as you come in, three metres high, is a Gestapo woman standing on dead bodies, knocking the gold out of teeth. We met a guide who took us around and told us the story. And as he told the story, he said every morning at about 4.30 before the sun was up, Nehemiah would go to the end of his barracks and get up on some boxes. And as as the prisoners were being marched around and around for exercise, Nehemiah was quoting verses of scripture, one verse each day. And our guide was one of those prisoners. He heard the word of God. And he said to us, I came to faith in Christ as a result of hearing Nehemiah. We then went across the remains of Dachau and all they've left now is just the foundations of each hut about that high. But then we went underground. And here was a chapel. There was a Jewish chapel and a Protestant chapel and probably a Catholic chapel and a pipe organ, just so happened. And the the guide said, anybody play the organ? And I thought I'd put my hand up. He said, let's sing How Great Thou Art. And there would have been 
in that group, not just us, there would have been 30, 35 people and he gave his testimony after we'd sung. When we came out of there, we walked past the crematorium. Still standing, it's old red brick. I don't know whether it's still today, but it was then. You know, when the Allies came to Dachau, the Americans came first. The mayor of Munich could not believe what had been going on. And the Americans said to him, how could that be true when the smoke of the sacrifice was drifting over your city day after day after day. The world is desperately heading toward an ending that will come when Christ returns. How long we have, we do not know. But what we do know, in the process, things here on earth will get Worse. How about our testimony? How about our families? What are we living for? If we're living as the world around us is living for self and for pleasure, let me tell you something. You too will have an apology if you really know the Lord when you meet him. And Martin Nehemiah says this, he said to, he felt the shame and the guilt that he didn't speak up earlier. This is what he said. First, they, the Gestapo, came for the communists. And I didn't speak out because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists. And I didn't speak out because I wasn't a unionist. Then they came for the Jews. And I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak out. He didn't quite tell the truth in that last statement. The Lord Jesus was with him and was with him right through that ordeal. He came to Australia. He preached here in Brisbane Hundreds of people came to hear him. In Sydney, he preached in the Sydney um, Stadium, the boxing rink, which was the biggest facility you could get. 10,000 people could be fitted into that back in 1947 or 48 or 49, it was, I think, when he was here. Hundreds of people came to Christ through the testimony of a guilty confessor. Doesn't matter how many times we fail we can be forgiven and restored. And friend, if you're sitting here this morning, think to yourself, how can God use me if things go bad in Australia? It's amazing what stubbornness can be, can be used for good. Just stand, be courageous and stand for what's right. The scripture says, and having done all, to stand. There's a great hymn that was written back in the 1700s. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. 
What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Now I don't know who's here this morning. If you're here because you've had to come and you really would rather be somewhere else and you're not sure you're a Christian, do you know that God even accepts people like that? You see, all it requires is for you or for me to humble myself and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I want your forgiveness through Christ. Please forgive me for my sin. And if you're not sure you're a believer, settle it today. Talk to somebody here that you know, like like Tom or some, some of the elders. The last verse of this hymn, reads, the soul that on Jesus still leans for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavour to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. talking about the Moravian missionaries this morning. Some of you might know the Moravian missionaries came to Brisbane in about uh, 1834, I think it was. And one of them was my great, 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 great grandfather, Franz Joseph Rohde. They still have a name on the other side of Brisbane. That's the north side, of course. They're second-class citizens. But um, (laughs) you have to recognise God has his people from around the world and Australia is being given another chance. Do you know why? We've got people coming to this country who can show us how to live for Christ because they've been living under persecution already. And I would encourage you to consider the Old Testament scripture Be strong and courageous.